With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Shane, and I'm your host tonight on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Tonight, uh, we're going to have uh, some special guests to join us um, on this podcast this evening. We will have the guest by the name of Leah McGowan-Hare. She's a master technical instructor for a company called Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce is a corporation in San Francisco. They deal specifically with cloud computing, and she will be giving us information on you know her experience in this particular role. Tonight we are calling on Skype. We're completely mobilized this evening. Um, we're using a Mac, uh, MacBook Pro. We're calling in to blog talk radio through Skype. Pretty cool. So what I'm going to probably do with this recording after I record it is download it to my computer and then upload it into uh, Logic Pro and, you know, some cool things. As you heard um, at the beginning of this recording here, I actually uh, did a drop, my first drop, kind of talking about the rabbit hole, which I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about. Here we go again. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. <laughs> Tonight is really about talking about technology and uh, individuals who happen to be minorities in these particular environments. And what is the rabbit hole? Well, many, many say that the rabbit hole is, uh, you know, earlier today I was actually looking through the Urban Dictionary on rabbit hole and its definition. And uh, some of the definitions I came up with, metaphor for conceptual path, which is thought to lead to true nature of reality, deep and complex venturing uh, too, too far down is probably not a great an idea. So another, uh, another definition was taking uh, hallucinogenic drugs can be considered tripping down the rabbit hole. But it is also exploring through philosophical and existential thinking. Try saying that ten times fast. Another definition was the origin of the term is from the rabbit hole in Alice Wonderland, which leads into Wonderland. Uh, you know, whenever you hear about the rabbit hole, that's a quick association to Alice in the Wonderland. Uh, another one was uh, in The Matrix, a reference from The Matrix. You take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland, and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So through this platform of the Internet, through podcasting, I want to bring you into the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole podcast is basically a discussion with minorities who work in high-profile type jobs. Um, we want to hear about their experience. We want to hear about the dynamics of their work environments. We want to know and ask, how do they succeed in these environments? Um, we all know that, uh, well, a lot of us know that African Americans in um, high-tech jobs make up a very small percentage 
of the workforce. I know a lot of big corporations there are working towards bringing more uh, people of color, uh, primarily African Americans, uh, into the workforce because the numbers are really low. Uh, me being a person of color in a high tech um, environment, I am normally only uh, one or two um, African American males um, in 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 these environments. Um, I can say it's uncomfortable, but then also it's a for me it's very prideful because I'm able to go into these environments and um, contend, um, perform, you know, do well at my job, and um, and I have to say I really enjoy I really enjoy what I do. Um, I will continue to do this until you know my last days uh, because technology has provided me an opportunity to take care of my family. Um, for over 20 years now, um, I have four children, three boys, one girl, and um, so far we've been having, um, we've been able to do some great things in life. And so that's what we have here. So today's topic really is about Malia um, McGowan here and her her experience um, in a company called Salesforce. They are known for cloud computing. Um, in a few seconds here, I'm going to go ahead and bring her on the call. Let's see if we can go ahead and pull her in. Hello, Leah. Are you there? I am. Okay. Well, welcome to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. And today's session is session number one, Women in Technology. And um, you're our first guest. And so how's it going tonight? It's going really well. Thanks for having me. You know, thank you for joining. Um, you, you've been quite helpful in helping me trying to work out all the kinks. Uh, you see me buy all this equipment and software and stuff. I've been playing around with it and trying to trying to fine tune it and um let's just see what we have on last week we went ahead and tried to do some trial runs some dry runs and um we were in blog talk radio started up a good conversation for about good five six minutes after some technical difficulties then i realized that only said it it's only 15 minutes so i know you have a whole lot of experience and with uh, giving interviews or you know being guests on these types of things, so please bear with me. So, Leah McGowan Hare, you're a very interesting individual, I believe. Um, you work in a, a very male-dominated um, field, but you still remain to be uh, extremely talented, uh, very successful in in your role. Before we go into that, let's just talk about you. I, I kind of introduce um, listeners to the podcast, and that being um, listeners to the podcast, and that being Rabbit Hole, the Rabbit Hole podcast. And we all know you even uh, looked at some of the definitions regarding Rabbit Hole. And, you know, once you go down a rabbit hole, it can take you here, it can take you there. So let's just see where where we'll go tonight. There's no real formal format as we're still working out uh, all of the kinks. And, you know, so let's just have fun here. And, you know, let's not take it too serious, but let's just have a conversation. Sure. So uh, earlier today I was looking at Salesforce. And um, how do you like working there? Um it's a it's a really great company. I, I've enjoyed my uh stay with Salesforce thus far. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's a fantastic place to be. I, I know that whenever uh, I've been in those buildings or at any of the events, you just feel the energy of, you know, very intelligent people who thoroughly enjoy what they do. Yeah, agreed. Um, and so how did you come to work at Salesforce? Um Approximately six years ago, I, I uh, stumbled on a position. They were looking for a technical trainer, and I I interviewed for it. And um, after the interview was pretty intense, it was like a two- to three-week process of mm-hmm. interviewing and uh, of, of several interviews, even with the vice president. Um, and then... Um, then they thought I'd be a great asset to the group, and they brought me on. I think they made an excellent decision at that point in time. How long ago was that? Mm, just about six years ago. A little, uh, probably in April would be six years. Mm-hmm. Six years. Yep. That's great. And you look at people being laid off, and you know, people kind of one of those things that is to keep motivated to stay with the company for that period of time. Five years is a long time, especially in technology. I'm sorry, six years that is. Um, I would have to say that I think one uh, every year it's named in Forbes magazine the most innovative company. So, and it's really true to form. It's probably one of the companies you would constantly um, is changing itself and uh, always trying to get to the next level. So if you like being challenged and you like growing your knowledge technically, then it's then you'll definitely uh, find the right place for yourself there. Salesforce is definitely a place to be. Yes, it is the place to be. What do you do for Salesforce? Um, I am a master technical trainer, and in layman's terms, I basically train developers how to code on our tool set. We have a proprietary set of tools that are exclusive to the platform that allow developers to build out the platform to customize functionality for their company. Okay. Um, what what type of uh, application is Salesforce? Is it an application? Is it a infrastructure? What is this thing? And, and what, you know, I'm looking for an operative word from you. I don't want to say it. What, what, have ma- what has made Salesforce unique over the last four years? Um, I think the fact that Salesforce has stayed innovative and always has tried to um, – stay in front of its own self, kind of like how Apple has always stayed in front of itself. That's what I think Salesforce has done. We're always trying to reinvent our own selves and and not wait for the competition. Um, We are a cloud computing platform. so That's it, cloud um, computing. And uh, with that cloud computing, we're a multi-tenant cloud computing system, which makes it um, economy of scales across all our customers. So it's, it's, it's a great company, and it's really innovative in technology. So Salesforce have taken the CRM um, model and kind of created a cloud platform for external customers to basically move their data or their infrastructure to and basically have 
uh, your company manage it? Yeah, I think we, we started as a CRM, and I would have to say uh, CRM, which stands for Customer Relationship Management, and our sales uh-huh. platform um, mm-hmm. was primarily our bread and butter. And we've kind of, ex- we definitely have, have expanded that. We are now moving into financial market, um, any kind of custom app you want to create, you can create on the platform. It's very agile in that perspective. But uh, we're service uh, cloud. We're definitely a sales cloud. We're also big on the whole uh, social social media for the enterprise software. Um, so it, it's grown beyond its name. And the name sometimes can be its own um worst roadblock in that people think, oh, Salesforce, you guys only look for sales. And that's right. far from the truth. We expand all of all of the functional areas, even moving into healthcare, because we are HIPAA certified. Yes, yes. And I'm very well aware, even in the environment that I work in, they're uh, definitely moving towards, uh, you know, cloud computing with uh, some of their CRM uh, type applications and platforms. Um, and so, uh, you know, I did, I, I did look at that article earlier, uh, in Forbes magazine or Forbes.com. Uh, you can find that for four straight years that Salesforce have actually been the number one innovative company, uh, in the world. Um, and I can actually see why because of, uh, individuals like yourselves, um, who are deeply, deeply knowledgeable, um, about you know your particular field, and you guys are always willing, you ladies and guys, are always willing to uh, you know kind of you know push push yourselves further uh, with the technology, and you're you're very passionate about what you're doing here. Um, just so let's see here, I was reading uh, a piece of the article that I found uh, interesting. Uh, off of Forbes.com, and it it goes like a key to Salesforce success has been its ability to move into bigger companies, selling to enterprise class large customers who require more modifications and attention than a small or medium-sized business. Today, the company's enterprise business is ran by a David Ranitsky, a serial entrepreneur who took Benioff three meetings to hire 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, the article goes on and on about uh, just how great a company uh, Salesforce is and how its main focus is really to keep their customers happy with its products through consistent tinkering and brainstorming for little tools that can make a customer's life a little bit easier. Um, I know uh, a few months ago I was looking at um, how you know looking at Salesforce and trying to figure out how I can um, integrate Salesforce or some of its tools into what I do on my at my job as a information technology project manager. Um, I wanted to use uh, some of your tools which were uh, available online and for free. Uh, where I can actually log in, create a profile for myself, get access to your tools. Uh, there's a set of tools. We, we call it the Force.com platform. Yes, Force.com platform. And once I got into the Force.com platform, I was able to actually go in and create uh, uh, reports, um, which was pretty interesting. And it was pretty quick to learn, but 
this leads me to my next question here. Um, so you're a master technical instructor. Did I say that correctly? You did. Uh, for Salesforce.com, and you teach people from all over the world um, how to uh, develop their your code. How many people have you say you have trained over these last six years? That's a hard number to come up with off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. My classes range from 10 to 20 people. I teach um, about 30 days out of a quarter. Uh, Thousand. Okay. So you're basically saying that uh, twenty. Mm-hmm. Thirty. No, thirty quart, thirty days per quarter, which probably breaks down to about four to five weeks a quarter. So four to five weeks on four. Twenty weeks a year. Twenty thirty weeks a year. So six hundred people per year. About yeah. Oh, six hundred people per year times six. And that's about thirty-six hundred people over the last six years that you've trained to be, you know, um, you know, Salesforce developers and you teach several other classes, you develop classes, you're an awesome person. Um, and, and aside from that, do you teach in the classroom? You teach at uh, some of these conferences that Salesforce puts on on a yearly basis. And these conferences, they normally have anywhere from two, three, four, five hundred people in these classes. Would that be fair yeah, to say? About about three hundred maximum. About three hundred maximum, mm-hmm. right? And you're teaching these classes, um, you know, one hour, two hours at a time, all day long, uh, for about four or five days straight, correct? Yes. So, I mean, we can easily say over the last six years, because I know since knowing you personally, you've been involved in basically all of them. And um, since that time, it's grown tremendously. So can we possibly say probably another 2,000 people that you've trained? Um, I know that you do a lot of uh, webinars yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. You also do a uh, um, a, a lot of volunteering in the community. Um, and teach corporations how to yep. uh, use use your software. Can you talk about that a little bit, about sure. uh, some of the initiatives that Salesforce have to, uh, you know, have you guys go out into community and community? Sure. Um, Salesforce has a, well, Mark Midioff implemented the 1-1-1 methodology, 1% of your talent, 1% of your time, 1% of the money. Um, uh, employees aren't just it isn't necessarily required but they are highly encouraged to volunteer and salesforce gives you the platform so it's not like i'm going to volunteer and just build a house why we do have those opportunities but they give you a platform so if you say i have this particular talent or skill that i feel like could serve my community in a in an effective way salesforce gives you a platform to go and 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 do that for example i I'm a I, I'm a good trainer, so I decided that I wanted to take my skill and be able to serve the community in a way. Let's that was be clear: you, you're you're not only a good trainer, you're ex- a master trainer. There's no bias there, of course. Yes, now I'm a master technical trainer. Yes. So I um, pitched my management that I wanted to do a free um, technical training class for, for all women for companies that were using Salesforce that were nonprofit and 
they embraced the idea and they allowed me to do it. And I ran a class of like 20 women. And that idea then picked up and it spread all the way over even to our Japan office, our uh, London office, and our Australia office. So several other offices are trying to implement the same same idea that I had and actually implemented. But uh, Salesforce gives me the platform to be able to do that, where a lot of times you have to fight to actually be able in companies to like, listen, I know this may not be revenue generating, but, you know, I really believe that, you know, in the long term it would be good for the company. But because this is a perspective and a methodology that's embraced from the CEO top down, I'm given that platform where I'm able to do things like that. That's wonderful. Um, and you mentioned earlier the CEO was Mark Benioff. He is the CEO of yes. Salesforce. Um, yes. Very interesting guy. I've uh, seen him talk on several occasions. Wow. And, you know, just just to see the guys that he hangs out with, like, you know, a guy like uh, General Colin Powell, uh, Stevie Wonder, Will I Am, uh, Bill Clinton. This guy is amazing. Um, and aside from that, all of the work that he does in the community, um, you know, uh, like a lot of donations towards the uh, San Francisco uh, Public School District, uh, which I find very, very fascinating. Getting back to you, Leah, what keeps you motivated uh, in your environment? You, of course, being an African-American female um, in a very innovative uh technical environment what keeps you motivated that exactly it is that i am an african-american female in a in one of the most innovative companies and my peers as well as my audience are primarily african uh, excuse me are primarily uh, white men so when i step into a classroom each week to deliver a course i'm breaking a mold every week um this, i'm probably the last person they expected to come in to train them how to develop on our platform. So in a way, not not am I only educating them on our tool set, I'm educating them on any kind of preconceived notions they might have had about African-American people, African-American women. Um, And I take that responsibility with great pride and, I'm I'm very grateful that I'm able that I'm in a position that allows me to um, kind of break that mold and that it you know you don't have to be male you don't have to be white you don't have to be of any other ethnicity to know about technology and to be a master in it to the point that you're actually training others that I'm breaking that mold no one fits perfectly into that mold so. Um, I think that motivates me and that kind of empowers me that uh, I, and and not only that, but I actually inspire other women. Every now and then I get few women in my class. I get maybe two or three. The majority of my class are men. So oftentimes I I am an inspiration to the women that come into my class as well. And they're like, wow, this, it's great that I was able to learn the technology, but even, even more effective for me that it was a woman teaching me. So that in itself is, is, is motivating for me. Yes, it is very motivating, and I uh, commend you 
for all the hard work that you put into be being the person that you are to motivate others. And just so our listeners know, they are listening to the Rabbit Hole podcast. And right now we're talking to Leah McGowan Hare, who is a master technical trainer for Salesforce. The Rabbit Hole podcast. You were saying that in the classroom where you teach uh, the majority of men, um, you know, about technology or how to do their jobs more effectively or efficiently, that they, that you're, you will be the last person that they would expect to see. So how do you reach them? How do you break those barriers between you and them? Because they might have their uh, guards up. Uh, what what strategies or techniques do you use to break those barriers to let them know that, you know what, I am the real deal and it's no mistake that I'm here. I, I, I work very hard and I'm passionate about this stuff. And if you listen to me, you might just learn something. Um, well, I kind of coined this phrase a couple of years back when I was speaking on a panel about um, being a, a trainer and a woman trainer. And I feel like oftentimes, sometimes I have to prove myself a little bit more than maybe my colleagues. And I call it that I show my dev cred. It's kind of like street cred, but dev cred, which, you know, short for developer credibility. Prior to being an instructor for many years, I mean, I have my undergraduate in computer science, and I also, um, I was a developer for many years. So I make sure that they know that. Um, I mean, I don't go off and pontificate on, you know, object-oriented programming theories or anything like that. But I do let them know that I have had experience as a developer, um, that I do work with code, just to kind of show that I am of the developer world, and that buys me dev cred. And then nothing beyond that. Other than that, I just kind of, I'm myself, and I think the key is I'm comfortable in my skin when I'm in there, and I don't try to front like I'm something other than who I am because I can't be. That's the only um, person you can be. Yeah, I can be effectively. I mean, I have actually seen instructors. And one thing about developers is you, if someone asks a question and you don't know the answer and you try to make up an answer or you try to fake an answer, smell it from a mile away that you oh, are yeah. being um, insincere. And that's the worst. But I also coach and develop other trainers that come on board, and I tell them, if you don't know something, just say you don't know. You're going to buy yourself a lot more credibility saying you don't know. So for me, I don't try to – I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I can only be myself. And I, I, you know, I don't confine myself to the definition of I'm female and I'm African-American. I'm more than that. I'm, yes, you are. You know, other people may try to put me in that, that hole, and that, that's their own issue. But, you know, one of the things I definitely try to do in my classroom, I connect with each of my students on a different level beyond the class. You know, I have them share something with me, with the class about them, and just try to connect on the human level because at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're, we all are. So. I like that approach, uh, being the real you, because you only can be real. Um, for other women, other African-Americans, other minorities who's inter who are interested in becoming technology trainers, how? what advice would you give to them? Um, well, becoming a technology trainer is not something that I just kind of uh, – 
I, I actually fell upon the, 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 the career. Uh, I think the thing that, that allows me to be successful in this career is the experience that I have and that I also keep my technical skills relevant and I stay abreast of the latest technology because it doesn't buy you that much credibility to be in a classroom to talk about, you know, coding languages from the 80s or 90s. If you want, I mean, that, that gives you some level of credibility, but if you really want credibility, you want to be relevant, you want to be um, forward-thinking. So having live experience will buy you a lot. So I would actually encourage people to have hands-on experience and then have the ability to be able to talk to an audience that may not be technical. Because if you can explain technical concepts to a non-technical audience and allow them and, and explain it in a way that's digestible to them, then you can have an efficient career as a trainer. How, how do you stay relevant? What resources do you use? But to those who are interested in technology and looking at it like, you know what, that stuff is complicated. There's no way in the world that I can ever do that. What resources would you recommend people look at? Well, I mean, first of all, definitely, I have no, it, it, I have no issue with sharing whatever knowledge I have. I would love for everybody to be successful. Um, nice. The resources that I use, people are one of my biggest resources. Finding the top developer in my company, or or some of my other colleagues who I feel like are some of the smartest people I know, tapping them on the shoulder and being like, "Hey, can you spend?" 15 minutes with me today and tell me about this newest, you know, feature that we just released. There are so many things on the Internet that you can train yourself. Uh, so that's another resource that I use. And just really kind of with Salesforce, you have no choice but to stay relevant because we do three releases a year, and I'm certified in uh, several of their certifications. And to keep my certifications up to date, I have to recertify each time there's been a release. So I have to stay relevant at minimum with the, the latest features. But if I want to go in depth on knowledge, then it's, you know, there's a lot of resources available. If I go to uh, salesforce.developer.com, tons of information out there. That's wonderful news. And one thing about the Rabbit Hole podcast is, we want to inform our listeners on how to you know, operate in these type of environments, what resources to use. Some, you know, we want them to learn from our experiences in these environments. You know, people who are listening uh, would like to share some of their experiences. Uh, you can always uh, contact uh, the Rabbit Hole podcast through Blog Talk Radio. Um, you can also reach us at uh, the Rabbit Hole Podcast at hotmail dot com, um, and we can um, share your information on air. How did you you mentioned earlier, Leah? This is this is the Rabbit Hole. We're going to take twists and turns. We're going to you know take you there, take you here. We talked about how you came to be at Salesforce. We talked about your experience inside the classroom. We talked about your experience with um, uh, training women um, on, uh, on on the Salesforce platform. 
Um, we talked about the resources that you use. You briefly touched on your education. Uh, one one thing that I've noticed across the board here um, in a lot of situations, especially for us, it's no mistake that we're in these environments. We're highly educated. Uh, we work very hard. We're extremely resourceful. What's your educational background? Um, I have my undergraduate in computer science and my master's in technology and education. When you started your uh, academia career, um, did you start out wanting to be computer science? Uh, absolutely not. I, uh, I should be dancing on Broadway right now. That's what my goal was. I actually started off as a dance major. Um, and I was blessed enough to have a father who was a professor, and he let me indulge in that for about two years. And then he said, okay, I need you to uh, kind of focus and get a degree in something that you could learn only in college and that you could not learn had I not spent four years of, you know, money on four years of going to college. So um, he had introduced me, my father introduced me to coding, when I was in high school. So I knew I was always good at it, but it wasn't necessarily at the time, you know, my dream. And, you know, back then coding wasn't what it is today. You know, uh, being a nerd wasn't as cool as it is today as it was back when I, I started on that journey. And mm -hmm. there were far less women and far, far less uh, minorities. And I, I even had to plead NSBE, which is the National Society of Black Engineers, to accept me with my discipline of a computer science into the organization. I had to write like an extra essay just to prove that I was worthy of being part of that organization. So hmm. it wasn't commonly um, accepted or heard of. They're like, computer, what? What is that? So um, I ended up changing to computer science my second year at, at in college. And uh, my father, um, you know, I, I, but I started off initially as a dance major. Oh, wow. In, in a way, you, you still, uh, you are, you are still a dancer, right? You're, you're performing. <laughs> no, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my props are my books and, and whiteboard. Absolutely. And so those erasable markers are dancing across that whiteboard. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's, that's good. So, so right after your undergraduate uh, degree? Uh, did you just jump right into work? Did you jump right into your master's degree? I, I jumped. I jumped directly into work, and I remember specifically. I had a professor who said to me, she pulled me aside, and she was a female professor, and she was really trying to encourage me to go straight to grad school, but I was so headstrong and fixated on getting a corporate job and making money and living out on my own. So I and. I did. I went in and I, I, I moved to New York City. I got a job as a consultant, and I worked in, in the Big Apple for about a good ten years. Okay, so it was a little bit of time before you um, you you were working. You actually really gained that firsthand knowledge of uh, working in these environments, uh, learning, and you know, kind of going through the experience of uh, working in corporate America. What type of jobs did you hold up until, you know, after college, up until Salesforce? Um, I worked as a, a consultant at uh, Anderson Consulting, and I did implementations for, it was at the time Big Five, it's now Big Three, the Big Three consulting firm. And I did um, 
implementation, uh, was a manager of a development team, all of that. And then I moved over and I became a developer for um, a company called PeopleSoft, and I did that for several years. And after they received the, Oracle, the bear hug from Oracle, I left, started my own company, and I was a consultant for two years while I put myself through grad school. So I had worked full-time and went to grad school. And then after graduating from grad school, um, I then joined Salesforce. Wow. So you know what? I, I really like that approach where you, you, you started off with your undergraduate degree, then you went to a company, really get that firsthand knowledge and really work through with the technology um, because that within itself um, is really uh, a learning experience, um, something to really, which something that's, for, for me at least, really tangible um, where you're actually, you know, able to be in these environments and uh, gain firsthand skill set um, from these environments. Uh, so you were in New York, then you moved back to the West Coast and you started with PeopleSoft. Um, and then you um, went ahead and got your uh, master's degree teaching in technology. What prompted you to go back to school for your master's? Um, originally, I did that. I embarked on that because it was more of a personal goal for me. Nothing professional at all. Um, my father had his Ph.D. My mother had her master's. And I felt like at minimum I should get my master's. So I tried to figure out what was the master's degree that I could get that would be the least invasive and was aligned with what I had, I had already been doing um, in my career. And so I got it in education and technology. Wow, that's wonderful. You know what? I, I enjoy uh, education just as much as you do. And it's nothing like being in a classroom, um, just learning. Um, was, was, was school difficult for you? Was it something that came, that come easy for you? Um, um, I'd have to say my undergraduate, it was just a more of a maturity thing. Computer science as an undergrad was tough. It was definitely no easy, it was not a cakewalk. Um, for graduate degree, it was far easier, but I also think because I was more mature, I was very focused. And I knew what it took. I knew I knew what I needed to do, and I just did it. So it it, it made it. Um, it was at a different place in my life. So the pursuing of that goal was a bit more streamlined because I knew what I needed to do. Let's take take a step uh, forward here. Once again, you're listening to Rabbit Hole Podcast, and we're on the line uh, with our guest today, Leah McGowan here. And we're basically talking about uh, her her past experience, her current experience. And now what I like to do is kind of shift gears forward. What are you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation here that to keep yourself relevant, keep your credentials up to date, that you ask questions, you, you use your resources, you continue to study. Do you know what Salesforce or, you know, different groups in your, your, your company are doing for the future of technology? I have to say that cloud computing is extremely, in my mind, actually futuristic. Because who would ever thought five years ago that 
a comp- another company will be able to take everyone else's data and hold it in a cloud somewhere. Of course, it's not in the cloud. Um, be able to manage their information and, you know, kind of, you know, market themselves as these this, this cloud company type of deal. And I believe I read somewhere that no one even knows where these data centers are that Salesforce actually own and manage. What is the future of cloud computing? Um, that's a great question. You know, cloud computing has grown immensely, and um, there's definitely two two big versions of it. There's the private cloud and the public cloud, where uh, without going in, without boring people to too much detail private being more of a multi-tenant type of architecture and, excuse me, public being more of a multi-tenant structure and private being more of, I build out a single server per customer that I'm hosting in the cloud. I think going forward, we're going to see more of a hybrid type cloud. I also think, you know, going forward, we'll see more of things like um, a virtual desktop. You know, right now, if you look at Microsoft Office, everything's loaded onto your 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 laptop or your desktop. But I I see there's many services out there where they offer desktop service where you actually log in via the internet and you're on your desktop. So um, like I think Google some of Docs. those things. I think, pardon, such as Google something Docs like Google or Docs. Mm-hmm. something like Google Docs. But I think a little bit more uh, customized for companies. And um, and more familiar to what what you're used to seeing, um, and I just think more of the functional systems are moving. So you have definite different silos. So like right now, if I need an HR system, I have Workday. If I need a ERP system, I have Financial Force. So you have all these different silos in the cloud, and I think uh, definitely what's come a long way is the integration between them. So the development of different API interfaces and the streamlining and the ease of setting up between integration is going to be essential to um, the success of the cloud in the future. Nice. Where will your role be in that? <laughs> oh, I don't know yet. Um, where Where is teaching and technology? Uh, where Where is that cloud. headed? You're in the cloud already. I think a lot of it is what we're moving toward, a combination of virtual training. Um, I think sometimes instructor-led classroom, while Mm -hmm. to me is the most effective way of learning because you have a teacher right there. I have Mm -hmm. the whiteboard. I can drive visuals, things like that. Um, May not necessarily be most scalable, right? Not everybody can take a week off. Not everybody can get in to one location. I think virtual training is going to become uh, uh, more predominant and maybe a hybrid of the two. Yes, no, I can definitely see that uh, happening. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you again, dialogue that we're having here. Um, At this point here in the show, um, we're going to go ahead and just switch it up a little bit here. We're going to have a little bit of fun with, with the podcast now. I just have a few questions for you. What are some of your favorite places that you've traveled? Uh, I'd have to say Mshlanga, South Africa, KwaZulu-Natal, and Bahia, Brazil. Okay, three different. And Amsterdam, and Amsterdam. And Amsterdam. Um, why? Um, 
three, all three of them are very different than each other. Um, South Africa, Umshulanga was absolutely just breathtaking. It was beautiful. It was on the coast, and it was in Africa. And Amsterdam was probably the most diverse. And when I say diverse, I mean, when I say there's Italian people, there's Italian people from Italy. There's African people from Nigeria. Like, it, it is truly diverse. Um, and culture, I've met people from Norway, Sweden, all in that one sort of hub. With Brazil, and in particular, Bahia, it kind of felt like home for me. Even though I don't speak Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese, I was embraced as if I were, were a Brazilian. I was mistaken to be Brazilian. It just felt very, very comfortable. Nice. And one thing that we felt, of course, with me knowing you, um, is uh, uh, Leah McGowan here is actually my wife. And I'm very proud to tell the world that, you know what, this this lady right here is very special. Um, and I love her to death. Yeah, I love you One too. thing that this is a rabbit hole podcast. The conversations that you're teaching, you're so great at what you do that you've actually been in the places that you've named. Not, you know, and there's many other places uh, across the globe that you've actually taught in these environments, in Amsterdam, in South Africa, in India, in Brazil. What is that experience like? Well, it's interesting because you learn just how, how culture impacts how people learn. So culturally, it's very different in how they receive instructors, how, how they learn. So you have to be very agile in your teaching styles in order to be effective. For example, in India, I mean, I would, they didn't want breaks. They wanted to go till 7 at night every night. They just, as much as you could give, they would take in. Whereas in Brazil, I had to have like a two-hour lunch break for them and then like, you know, negotiate for them to come back and then still get out <laughs> early. So it was, you know, just culturally, it was, is there, and then Amsterdam was really a challenge because I would have uh a woman from South Italy, you know, uh, very vocal and saying, you know, I'd explain a concept and she'd be like, but I don't understand. And she'd get very passionate about her not understanding to the point that it came across as if she were angry. And then when I would explain it, you know, again, and she goes, oh, okay, I have it. And I was like, oh. And then meanwhile, you know, I have the person from, from uh, Sweden not saying one word, or Norway, not saying anything. So it was, it was just interesting in working with the different types of cultures and how culture affects the learning style. I have another question for you. This one right here, just looking for a definition, you know, have you ever heard of the term Afrofuturism? And I have if so, not. what is Afrofuturism? Yeah, I haven't. I, I don't know. I mean, I can only envision what that means. Is that where, because it's a really shallow explanation, that where everybody has apples, or is that like everybody has, is, I don't know. I don't know. Let's break it down. Afrofuturism. What, so what where, does that where mean to you? People from the African diaspora, people who come from the Afri African diaspora, are infiltrated into every part of the future. Yeah, I think um, that's reasonable to say, right? Right? We have to start 
uh, making a place for ourselves in the future. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, absolutely, without question. And I think through platforms like this, through pro- podcasting, through the Internet, uh, through individuals like yourself and myself working in these environments, um, it's important to, you know, continue to work hard, um, teach and inspire others who are just like us to become a part of these type of environments, to be the best that they can be. If it's not in these environments, in any environments, but um, really, really understanding that our place in history and in the future um, is necessary. So I, I like your definition. I think you're spot on. Um, what's your favorite music to work out to? <laughs> My favorite music workout, um, like house, Afro house, Afro futurism house music. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think they call that right some like EDM at this point. Yeah. The electronic <laughs> digital music. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. Okay, that, that's that's great. Um, first thing you do in the morning. First thing I do in the morning is uh, get up before I even brush my teeth and go downstairs and make breakfast for the kids. I'll take that. Um, I have another uh, term for you. This one right here I actually just pulled off of uh, Urban Dictionary of uh, some of the latest slang terms. Now, I actually got a chuckle out of this one. Uh, what is a mouse potato? A mouse potato? What is a mouse potato? A potato as small as a mouse? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think and that's the, that was the first thing I thought. I like mouse potato. But according to Urban Dictionary, a mouse potato is someone who clicks on their mouse all day on their computer, right? All they do is click. They're surfing the internet. Oh, they're... like a couch potato, but a right. mouse potato. Okay, right. okay. <laughs> Um, okay. In the future, what technology from today will still be around? Kind of forecasting, kind of visualizing. We're a uh, hundred years from now. So what would that be? We're in 2014. So we're in 2114. What technology? Uh, a, tooth, a toothbrush. A toothbrush. Everybody still got to brush their teeth. Yeah, or you know, we can go up the street to our friend's uh, spot and you know get the teeth teeth whitening <laughs> deal. But, but seriously, you, you got to brush. That's why I think in a hundred years you'll still be brushing your teeth. But you know, th- this technology that that we're using to make this even possible for us to you know speak on the internet, um, to actually look at uh, the, you know these interfaces on these computers on our mobile devices. It's, it's, a, it's hard to call it because things I would have never thought, you know, 20 years ago that I'd be taking pictures with my phone. Or right. With that. Uh, so I, it's hard to call it. I, I don't I know the one thing that has been consistent from 20 years ago to now is my toothbrush. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'd like to say the Internet but I don't know to what level. Right. Okay. That sounds good. What's your favorite snack? Almonds. Well, almonds. Almonds, yeah. Very low in calories. No fat. Good uh, good snacks. All right. That's all that we have for today. Uh, once again, Leah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for being my first 
guest on our first podcast for the Rabbit Hole Podcast. How can our listeners contact you? Uh, Twitter. Uh, My my handle is Leah, L-E-A-H-B-M-8. Great. Thanks again, Leah. And once again, everyone, you're welcome. Again, everybody, my name is Shane Hare, and you can reach me at rabbitholepodcast at hotmail.com. Uh, you can also find our show on Blog Talk Radio. Just go ahead and do a search for Rabbit Hole Podcast. And then also we have a group on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called Rabbit Hole Podcast. Be sure to uh, listen to our podcast. Be sure to join our groups. And if you have any questions about our, for our guests or about our guests, uh, please forward those questions to us here at the Rabbit Hole. And then always feel free to reach out to Leah McGowan here. Until next time, everyone, so always be curious and always ask why. Thanks again for listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast, and until next time, this is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. <laughs>
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.